Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. We've been going through this, and uh, we've been looking at these characters. The first character we looked at was Joseph, and what we try to gain from him is how to rightly handle adversity. Uh, we talked about all the different struggles he may have had before, uh, he, you know, them having Jesus, and even having Jesus and raising Jesus and going through the town, how his life may have, may have changed, you know, maybe even as a carpenter, the stigma that, that was attached to them from that point forward, the persecution they faced, because they held to the story that this, was the, this is the Messiah. is born of a virgin. Um, the people maybe not want to do business with him anymore. We don't want to buy Joseph's stuff anymore. He's weird. He's claiming to, to have this son that was miraculously born. You know, all those things that he had to continue to walk by faith through his entire life, continuing to trust God through that adversity. Again, we saw so many different things in that. The next character we looked at was Mary, of course. Mary taught us how to rightly handle God's grace. The angel came to her and said that you're highly favored of God, that you've found favor in the sight of God. It means grace. We found grace in God's sight. And so uh, we learned how to rightly handle God's grace through her. And then last week, we looked at the group, uh, a, a group, and the group was the shepherds. And the shepherds taught us a lot of things, but uh, I think one of the primary things they taught us is how to rightly handle the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that the angel uh, Gabriel came to them and he said, hey, don't be afraid. I'm bringing you good news of great joy, uh, which will be to all people. And, and so the, angels, uh, the angel uh, told them this and other uh, heavenly hosts began to sing songs, glory to God in the highest. And it was a really amazing uh, scene there. But the, the shepherds didn't just go back to watching their flocks by night. They didn't just go back to their jobs after, after hearing this good news. After hearing the good news that Jesus, the Messiah, had come, a Savior was born, they ran to meet the Messiah. Hearing the good news caused them to run to Jesus. And after they ran to Jesus and experienced this encounter with Jesus Christ, they left that place and they couldn't do anything but share that same good news and share that Savior with everyone they encountered, I suppose. But it also says that as they were returning, they were praising God. Their lives were never the same. Their lives were impacted by Christ. They were sharing the gospel the good news that, again, that had changed their life, and they were returning to their lives, completely changed, being vessels of worship and praise. And so this week, we move forward, and we're going to learn from one more character in the Christmas story. And of course, it's the central figure of Christmas. It's Christ himself. And I'm excited about this because uh, we could spend all day long, I'm not going to keep you here all day, uh, but we could spend all day long uh, learning just from him different characteristics and, and of course that would take a lifetime to, to have the understanding and apply that and, and for that to be realized in our life I believe but uh, we can learn so much from him but I'm excited to see what God has for us in this I want to read a, a, a scripture first and then we'll pray and get into it Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 it says this for unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth even forever, from this time forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for what we've already experienced, Lord, in the, the time of worship, the time of, uh, of giving, or just the, the time of fellowshipping already. And Lord, we're, we're so thankful that we get to be here in this place um, this Christmas Eve morning. Lord, there's um, just a, a special um, air, and we're, we're, we're thankful for that, Lord. We th we're thankful that we get to meet here with you and that you're the focus of our worship. You're the focus of our thoughts and our hearts. And I pray that would be real for every single one of us, God. I know there's probably a lot of things going on today for most people in this room, places to go, things to do. But for the next several minutes, Lord, I pray that you would be the central focus of our thoughts, of our desires. And God, as, as we meet here and worship you, Lord, we would... Be ready to receive your word and ready to receive this message. God, that we could learn from you, we could, we could grow from this. And Lord, maybe there's someone here this morning that has never encountered you in a real way. Lord, they've never heard the gospel and it caused them to run to you and accept you as Lord and Savior. Maybe they've never really fully understood what you did in, in, in this Christmas story that we, we know they, they full, haven't fully understood that and grasped that. Lord, I, I pray this morning that there's someone like that, that today would be the day their life changes forever. God, that they would be released, forgiven of all their sins. Lord, that they would receive that free gift of salvation that you alone can give. And they'd walk out of this day, this, this service on this day, this Christmas Eve day, completely changed, on their way to heaven. And Lord, we ask that you would move in all of our lives, and we'll praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Look at the word, the name Jesus. It's, a, it's an amazing name. It's an amazing thought that the king, God, the mighty God, as Isaiah chapter 9 said, would come to this earth and set up his rule. And I would say his rightful place ruling among mankind. Again, he's the creator. But this was different. Whereas man thinks that, that a, a ruler, a king comes and, and establishes his reign by power and might and even money at times, we know that the Bible tells us that Jesus came and established his kingdom in a different way. Jesus came and established his kingdom in the hearts of men. So that's what he cares about. That's what, that's what God's interested in. Uh, you have to understand whenever you own everything, uh, it, it, you have a different perspective, right? I mean, whenever you are borrowing something or when you buy something, you have a different perspective as well. Uh, it, it's interesting to see whenever kids get gifts sometimes, they, they love those gifts and they appreciate them, but, but after a while, what, what happens to them? They, they get lost, they get broken, they get torn up, they get discarded. Uh, but when you buy something, again, there's, there's more significant, uh, significance. When you own something, again, there's more significance. Jesus could have done anything he wanted. He could have come to this earth and he could have established his rule and his reign by complete dominance because he had absolute power. He could have done that. But again, he came in a completely different way. And we know the Christmas story. I want you to think about this. There's majestic stadiums. There's majestic buildings. There's majestic uh, fields all over this nation, all over the world. I mean, many of us have probably been to, to different ones. I, I know I've uh, had the, the privilege uh, to go once, uh, one of my friends invited me to uh, the Cowboys' new stadium, the inaugural year, year. and uh, we went there and, and got to see all the behind-the-scenes and inner workings and saw the, the, the first uh, 
a preseason game that was played there, and, and it, was a, it was a sight to see. That stadium is amazing. It's an it's a, a, a immaculate place, amazing and, and very expensive. And, um, you know, they're all over those places. And the people that, that, that build them are boasting about them when they build them. You know, the Olympic stadiums, the, the architects, the designers, the builders, they boast on all those things. But the truth is this. Those buildings, those stadiums, those fields, they're all just structures. They're just structures. Metal, stone, brick. I mean, that's, that's what they are. And so the, the question that, that is begged to ask is what brings significance to those stadiums? What brings significance to those fields? What brings significance to, to, to those places that we think, oh, man, that's a, an amazing place. I love to go to the Cowboys games. I love to go to this game. I love to, what, what brings that, the, the, the significance to those places? It's the people. And particularly the people that play and perform there, right? I mean, nobody, nobody flies to China to see the, I mean, maybe a few people do, but to see the, uh, the, the Olympic stadiums except for to watch people performing in the Olympic stadiums. I've never once had a thought, maybe you have, and I'm not judging you if you have, but I've never once had a thought of, you know, trying to get the money to, to fly to China just to see the Olympic stadiums there or anywhere else. I mean, maybe if you're going somewhere for, somewhere, uh, for, for another purpose, you say, hey, the Olympics were here in such and such year. We should go see the stadiums. But uh, it's just not typical for, uh, to do that. It's the people, and not only the people, but it's the events, what happens on those fields, what happens in those stadiums that bring the significance. It's, it's, it's why we go there and the, the memories that are formed from what happens there and, and from what we experience there. Again, it's based off experience. And so if we take a, an even uh, larger step back and look at everything, we, we consider the earth, the earth is glorious. I mean, it is, it's majestic. You, uh, I mean, I know uh, the, the sunset, uh, was it yesterday or the day before? I mean, it, it happens like that often. You drive and just like captivated sometimes, like, wow, that's beautiful. Uh, you know, people talking about, you know, I've, I've seen different uh, types of geography and it, it, it can, it's captivating. The earth is, is glorious. It's a glorious place. Nothing like it. Uniquely designed by the Creator for us. Amen. It's an amazing thought. But with all of that, is the, the glory of the earth even made for us as an everlasting Father, Almighty God? Here's His desire. Not that we would stand back and say, wow. Those mountains, that earth, the sunset, I mean, all those things bring glory to God, and I think he did it for our pleasure and for our enjoyment, to, to, to enjoy the, 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 uh, the world that he's placed in, absolutely. But this is what God is interested in. He's interested in having a loving relationship with those that he took the time and the effort and the care to breathe into their nostrils the breath of life. That's what God's interested in. And, 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 and he's so interested in having a relationship with us, so, so desirous to have this relationship with us, that even though we messed it up Amen. thousands of years ago in the garden, when Adam chose to rebel against God, disobey God, and sin entered into the bloodstream of all mankind, even though we are the ones that messed it up, he alone is the one that fixed it. 
He's the one that provided the solution. Salvation through the Savior. I said that the name Jesus itself is such an amazing name. It means Jehovah is salvation. I mean, the fact that God says, you know what? I'm going to do something. I'm going to provide the solution for man's problem is such an amazing thought. And so with Jesus, his character, this Christmas season, as I said, we can learn everything from him. We can look at Jesus and, and learn how to live our lives 100%. But this morning, I want to look at how to rightly handle love. How to rightly handle love. With Joseph, again, we saw how to rightly handle adversity. Mary, rightly handle grace. The shepherds, rightly handle the gospel. Look at Jesus, and I believe we can see the perfect example of how to rightly handle love. What love does when it's rightly handled. If we took a poll in this, this place this morning, just in, in, in this, this worship service, I, I think that uh, we would come up with a lot of answers of what love is and what love does. And I think some of those answers would be really good answers. I think some of those answers might be some really interesting answers. People's definition of love is different sometimes. And then I think that we'd have some, maybe a few answers that, of people, uh, what love is and what love does that were completely wrong. Um, but I, I want to look at what Scripture says love handled rightly looks like. Point number one in your notes is this. Love gives. Love gives. What love does when it's handled rightly is it gives. Probably the, the most popular verse in the Bible, I'm not going to ask you what you think it is, but uh, many people, have, again, have different, different opinions, but it's, it's probably the most widely known, widely, uh, you know, most popular verse uh, out there is John 3.16. John 3.16. Matter of fact, uh, maybe you haven't been to church in a long time or maybe you go to church uh, every day or, or, or maybe you've never been to church before, but if, if we started saying it, most people would have some type of recollection or some type of grasp of what it is going to say. But I, I want to read this verse and I want you to hear what it says uh, with maybe new ears. Look what it says in verse 16. For God so loved... God, the, the, the amount of God's love, he so loved, the result of his love for who? The world, everyone, was that he gave. Love gives. God so loved that he gave. He so loved the world. He so loved everyone. That means you. That means me. That means everybody. You say, I'm not lovable by God. I, I'm not lovable. By, there's no way that God could love me in the things that I've done in my life, the things that I've said in my life, the things that, I, that, that I've thought in my life. There's no way that God could love me. Or maybe it's on the flip side. The things that have happened to me in my life, there's no way that God loves me. Well, I want to tell you today, no matter what's happened to you, no matter what you've done, the truth of the matter is this, that God so loved you regardless of circumstance. And he demonstrated that love, just as that said in, in, in Romans chapter 5, it says the same thing. It says that God commended, he demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God so loved the world that he gave, but what did he give? His only begotten son. The Christmas story tells us that God came to this earth, Jesus Christ born, of a virgin. Why? A savior that was born to save, their, save, his, save people from their sins. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But I want to read the next couple of verses too. 
Very important verses. Look what it goes on to say. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You see, the the enemy, Satan, today wants to deceive and is deceiving many people. They, they, They have this mindset that if they give their life to Jesus Christ, that their life is now over. That, that I, I, I can't do anything, I, I, I'm going to become this stiff, this, this, this uh, you know, and all the Christians I've ever known are, are blank, 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 and people have this wrong perception of what happens. But, but God came into this world for the simple reason to save us from the condemnation that we already had in our, on our lives, that sin had placed on our lives. And that's what it goes on to say. It says, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. If we look at the narrative of our existence, we take a step back and look at mankind's history and say, man, what's the most important point in time mankind has ever had? I believe, first of all, it's it's not our story, it's God's story and we fit into God's story. But if if we looked at mankind's story with God, I believe the pinnacle of our story so far is this right here. When God said, I'm going to earth to die for my people so that they can have life through me. The pinnacle of all time. And some people think, well, no, it was this point in time. It was this age. It was this time. This was such the important time because of this and that. No, I believe the most important time in mankind's history is the moment that God stepped from heaven, made himself flesh and God at the same time, and did what only he could do. The moment in time that God remedied, he provided the remedy, the solution, once and for all, for what mankind had messed up. Once and for all, finally, as Hebrews says, one sacrifice for all, God took took care of it. Think about that. His remedy, our problem. You know, you run across people sometimes in in the world and they just don't don't care about you. They just don't care about me. And and something maybe bad happens to us or something goes on. And and, and what, what do sometimes those people who don't care about us say? They say, well... It's not my, it's not my problem. That's your problem. God in his justness and his rightness and his holiness could, it, it could have done that just the same. He could have said, you know what? You guys, y'all messed it up. I mean, I gave you the garden. I gave you food. I gave you life. I gave you air. I gave you each other. I gave you all these things and you messed it up. Guys, that's your problem. But he didn't. God said, you know what? It's your problem. And I'm the only one who can fix it. So I'm going to fix it for you. I'm going to provide the remedy to your problem. Again, what's our problem? Sin. What's the consequence of sin? The Bible says death. What was God's solution? Son. What did his remedy require? death it's amazing it's amazing god's solution to our problem but if we look back in those verses in john chapter 3 it tells us very clearly that god provided this way for all of mankind to miss the condemnation that already existed on our heads 
that already exists on every single man. Again, his way, Jesus, the Savior, Jehovah is salvation. That was his way, not to condemn man, but to save man. It's an amazing thought. But here's another amazing thought. After this would happen, mankind would be left with a choice. All of us left with a choice. You see, love gives, but love doesn't force. And God came to this earth and he provided the solution. He provided the remedy through his son, through the death on the cross, through the resurrection. He provides life for all those who, is, who would believe, just as we read in John chapter 3. But God will not force himself on anybody. Because love gives, it doesn't force. He so loved that he gave. So the, the, the motive for the pinnacle of our story, say, what's the story of my life? The, the story of my life is, is uniquely different in its personal, uh, the, the personal characteristics than yours, but all of our story is the same as mankind. And get this, the motive of the pinnacle of our story is love. And through this, he places the ball in our court. Here you go. You either accept the gift that I've given to you, or you reject it. It's that simple. It's that simple. But when we do accept it, something happens. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The acceptance of Christ as Lord and Savior is a life-changing trust. It's a faith. Before Christ, before we trust him, we were going our way. We were going the way that most people go, the way of the world that leads to death. The Bible says every way of man is right in his own, in his own eyes, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Before Christ, we were going our own way. But when we encounter Jesus Christ, we put our trust in him, we place our faith in him, we change our direction because he says in John chapter 14 that he is the way the truth and the life, that no man comes to the Father but by him. And so when we trust Jesus, it means that we no longer go our way, but we go the way, his way, the only way. And we do that from that point forward. And when we do this, we gain a love for God that we didn't have before. See, before we trust Jesus Christ, we were enemies of God because we were sinners. But when we come into a relationship with him, we gain a love for him because he first loved us. My question this morning is this, on this. How do we handle love? How are we handling love? There's no doubt that around Christmas time, there, there's a lot of joy for many people, but there's also a lot of difficulty, struggle, pain, and hurt for a lot of people as well. Whether it's through brokenness of divorce or whether it's through struggle with health or whether it's through the loss of loved ones or, 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 or many different factors, struggles going on in people's personal lives. And, and many times it can, it can kind of mar the, 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 the bright light, the joy of this season. And there's many people that would say, I just wish it would hurry up and come and go. Some people even say, I just wish it never come, never would come at all. I want you to know, no matter what the circumstance you're going through or you've been, been through or, or, or even how you feel about Christmas right now, I want you to walk away from this service 
remembering. If you already know it, remembering. Or if you, if you, if you weren't aware of it already, that God so loved you. And he so loves you. Because the open door is still there. The door to enter into a relationship with him is still open. Because you're still here. You're still breathing. If you've not entered into that relationship, God is so desiring this. And, I, and I'm, I'm going to tell you this. When you enter into a relationship with the Lord through faith in Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean that all your pains and all of the hurt and all the problems in this world go away. It doesn't mean that. But it means that you have a friend and you have a God and you have a Savior that will comfort you and that will help you and that can carry you through even the hardest of times, through the lowest of valleys. He can walk with you as a good shepherd. And he can give you that hope. The only one who can give you hope beyond the struggles and the junk of this life. The only one. But how are we handling love? Again, God's perfect example for us was that he so loved us that he gave his all, his, his own life. And so a, a question beyond this question is this. What are we in return giving to him? What, what are we giving to what he loves? People. That's what God loves. His people. The church. What are, what, what are we giving to the Lord? What are we giving to his people? The Bible says this in Galatians chapter 5. It says, brethren, you've, not, you've been called to liberty, but don't use that liberty for an occasion of flesh. Don't, don't use the freedom that you have in Jesus Christ to do what pleases yourself, but by love serve one another. So one of the greatest ways that we can give back to the Lord and give to the Lord is having this love motivate us and move us to serve one another. Remember what Jesus told the disciples as he was washing their feet? He said, I've done it unto you, do also unto one another. In 1 John, he would say, love one another. In John chapter 13, he says, love one another as I have loved you. God's desire for us, once we encounter Jesus Christ, and once we have the love of God in our life, is to live our lives with love. And what that looks like is a life. Giving over and over and over again. Now how can we say that we love God without evidence of that love in our giving? And you say, oh, here we go, money. No, I'm not talking about finances. I'm not talking about finances. The finances just illustrate where the heart is. That's what Jesus said. Where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. So that when we do that, that that's that issue. I, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in our lives. I'm talking about every fiber of our being, not just our finances, but I'm talking about when we sing. Do, do, we, do, we, do, do we just sing to him just, just because it's what we do? Do we just talk to him just because it's the time that we have set apart in a service? Do we serve the Lord and serve others only because it's a time that the ministry has set aside to do that? Do we give of ourselves just in church services or just in ministry events? Just at ministry functions? Let's remember this Christmas season that what God's love looks like is that he gave and that he gave his all. And he keeps on giving to us. Our love should continue to give 
It's not that I, I, I once did this or I once did that or I served here or I did that or I, I, I gave to them once or I helped them once or I did this. No, 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 no. Imagine if that's how God treated us. Imagine that's the, that's the way God's love was for us. Our love should continue to give. And I want, I want to say this before we move to the next point. If you're at a place in your life where you are looking and expecting others to give to you alone, they say, well, that church isn't very loving, or that peop- those people aren't very loving, they haven't done this, or I haven't, nobody's done this for me, or nobody's done that for me. Then you aren't operating in sincere love either. Because love gives. Love isn't focused on receiving. Love, love is focused on giving. See, the shoe has to go on both feet. If we're all loving and giving because of that love, guess what's going to result? It's, guess, guess what's going to result? God's blessing is going to be the result in all of our lives. The result of love being, being carried out. But it's very clear that love gives And I I want us to be reminded of that this Christmas season as we're thinking about gifts and we're thinking about all these things that we would just, we we hear this maybe as a cliche, but the greatest gift of all, but I want us to go back even further. The motive of the greatest gift of all was love. And this Christmas season, maybe we'd be challenged with our love and how our love looks like. If it's a sincere love, am I truly given? Am I giving myself to my spouse? Am I truly giving my, my, myself to, to my family? Am I truly giving myself to the church, to serving the Lord, to serving others? Am I truly giving myself to be a vessel of God, giving my whole life to Him because He's given eternal life to me? But again, it's clear that love gives, and with that, the gift that God gave took sacrifice it cost everything what did God give in his love what what did God really sacrifice after all for 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 us I mean in his love everything God gave everything Paul and in, in challenging the Corinthian church to, to, for them to help the need of the poor in Jerusalem he challenged their sincerity and specifically the sincerity of their love in this and how he challenged them was measuring the sacrifice that they would make to help those poor in Jerusalem did you get that now this was a financial thing Paul was saying listen there's others in Macedonia who have stepped up to the plate and they've given and they've sacrificed it's it's out of their love it's out of the care and Paul began to appeal to the Corinthian church in the same manner basically saying look the measure of your love is seen in the sacrifice of your giving. And so point number two this morning is this, that love sacrifices. And that's the truth. When we, when we love something, we make all kinds of sacrifices, right? Hey, I, I've used this illustration many times before, but uh, I'll share it again. You know, whenever uh, you're, you're, you're dating or whenever you're falling in love with that spouse, and, 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 and remember all the sacrifices you would make sometimes just to talk to them or just to see them? Uh, I've shared this story before. Uh, I, I was, uh, me and Michelle were dating, and I was going to college, and I, the, the college that I was going to was about an hour and 15 minutes away, 
And on Monday mornings, Wednesday mornings, and Friday mornings, we had study hall at 6.30 in the morning. You can do the math. You have got to leave at least. And the coach said, listen, if you're 30 seconds late, don't even come in because you're late. You're going to be in trouble. <laughs> don't come 30 seconds late. That's the 30 minutes, 30 seconds late. And so what I would do is I would stay here. And some people would say, why didn't you just go back Sunday night and avoid that altogether? You wouldn't have to worry about it. I was, I was in love. And so we would come to church Sunday nights, and, 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 and then we, I would stay with her. We'd go eat dinner or something, and, and we would stay as late as we could. Then had to go home because I knew I had to get up at like 5 in the morning at the latest, you know, to get all my stuff packed up, all my baseball stuff, and, and get it packed in my truck and be on the road at the latest by 5.15. And you know, you've heard the story how I messed up that one time and didn't make the alarm, uh, didn't get out of the house until 5.30. But love sacrifices. Love sacrifices all kinds of things. Matter of fact, many of you may have done that this Christmas season in getting gifts for your kids or for other people. Maybe you thought, man, I don't know how we're going to do this. Maybe we'll just not do this next month, X, Y, or Z. Or maybe we'll have to take from this to do this. We'll sacrifice because we love and we want to give. The truth is this, we sacrifice time, effort, we sacrifice money. We'll even sacrifice our health. Think about when a child gets sick or goes to the hospital or a loved one. We'll sacrifice work, we'll sacrifice money, we'll sacrifice sleep. Anything and everything. Why? Because of love. Addison, when she was younger, she had an allergic reaction to eggs, and we had to rush her to the hospital, and, and uh, I don't know that we really got any sleep that night at, at the hospital. We loved her so much, and we were so concerned about her, and we wanted her to be okay, and we trusted God. I mean, we, we, we knew in, the, in the, 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 the bottom of our gut, we knew in our, the depths of our heart that she was going to be okay, but that was our baby. And we loved her. And we were willing to, to sacrifice whatever. Well, you know, because of love. But what about other things? What about sports and stuff? So, no, no, no. No, we don't need to go there, brother. <laughs> we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> Moving on. What's point three? <laughs> whether it's professional, whether it's college, or listen, whether it's our kids. What we love, we sacrifice for. Again, God demonstrated this. He didn't just say, look, look, because God, he has, he's God, he's, he has a prerogative. God didn't just say, all right, people, let's just all agree that I, I would die for you. God, God didn't say that, and, and it was recorded by the prophet so-and-so that God propositioned his people that he would die for them. They should know by now, I mean, the manna, all those things, that God, God would die for their sins. They should know that he loves them that much. So instead of actually doing it for you guys, let's just all come to an agreement that I would. I love you that much. I would die for you. God could have done that, but we know that's not how the story goes. 
But also, that wouldn't work. Number one, because it wouldn't solve the problem of sin. Life had to pay for death. Jesus was and is the life. He said it. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Life had to pay for death. There's no other way. God couldn't skirt it. He couldn't say, I love you. I'm just, I, I don't know if I can give my only son. I, I, God couldn't skirt around it, and I don't think that he would either. Why? Because of love. Because God so loved. But I hope that you're hearing this this morning. Just as God, because of his sincere love for us, couldn't skirt his giving, God couldn't skirt sacrificing for what he loved. Neither can we. Neither can we. When we love, we sacrifice. A devotion that I read recently used this verse, and I want to read it in the, the, the devotion. It says, therefore, as you abound in everything, again, this is Paul appealing to the Corinthians. He says, as you abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. He said, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, the falseness, the, the, the unsincere, uh, insincereness of others. And to prove, look, look what he says, the sincerity of your love. To prove, to try it, to test the sincerity of your Do you really love others? Do you really love the way that God wants you to love? He goes on, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. That, through, that ye through his poverty might be rich. That's a profound thought. Paul, again, appealing to the, the sincere love of the Corinthians, says, listen, and, and if we have a question about what sincere love looks like, remember what Jesus Christ, your Lord, your God did for you. Though he was rich beyond all imagination, he became poor for your sakes so that you would be made rich, eternally rich. The devotion goes on to say it's impossible for our limited understanding to fully grasp the glory and riches of heaven. We read about the wonders of our eternal home in Scripture, but they at best paint a dim picture of what we will one day see. That perfect place was home to Jesus before the world was created. When he left everything behind to come to earth as our Savior, he gave up wealth and power beyond our imagination. Though anything in our world would have been a massive step down, anything, even the highest king, Jesus could have still chosen to be born in what passes for wealth and luxury. He could have been born in a place surrounded by all the comforts available. Jesus could have done that. Instead, though, he chose an ordinary poor family. We know that Mary and Joseph had very little for the offering that they brought to the temple was a substitute offering that Moses provided for those who couldn't afford to the full sacrifice that was commanded in the law. And Levitic, Leviticus chapter 12 says, it says, If she be not able to bring a lamb, then she shall bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, the one for the burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make an atonement for her, and she shall be clean. See, the love of God for us is measured by the cost of our salvation. It was not just on the cross, but every part of his life that Jesus sacrificed. Think about that. God Almighty, 
gave everything for you. For little old me. The, the, the one that's messed everything up. The one that can't be loved. God so loved you that he gave everything. Everything for you. Again, love sacrifices. Love gives, love sacrifices. And finally, love endures. Love endures. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7 tells us that. It says that love bears all things and believes all things, hopeth all things, endures all things. Charity, love, never fails. It never ends. But whether it be prophecies, or they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether it be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Love endures. See, love endures uncontrollable circumstances. Those places in our lives that come and that we come to that are out of our control that just happen sincere love endures those it endures trial love endures attack love endures loss love endures hurt love endures pain love endures disappointment love listen even endures betrayal and desertion What's our example again? Who are we? What's the character of Christmas that we're looking at? We're looking at Jesus. And we know by his life these things are true. That love endures all these things. It endures sacrifice. Listen to this. Love endures the past. I'm so thankful that the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. I'm so thankful that God is so faithful to what he has said. And as it says in 1 John, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. I'm so thankful that we have a God that loves us and that holds to that. That he doesn't pin our past against us. That he doesn't say, listen, you can't be loved anymore because you've done this much wrong. I'm so thankful that God loves us even through our past. Emmanuel. God with us. Think about this. Came through us. Came through mankind. God with us. Came through us. The perfect came through the imperfect. Why? Because of love to redeem us, to redeem us, to save us from our own sins, to save us from ourselves. The, the, the Redeemer came to do this. In Matthew's, we, we already kind of went through this. We didn't look at his lineage, but we started right, a, right after the lineage when we looked at the character of Joseph. But in, in Matthew's lineage, in Matthew chapter 1, we see something very important. And, and, and I want us to consider this as we close. Jesus' earthly lineage through his legal father, Joseph. Here's an interesting fact about this. I've shared this before, but some of you may have never heard it. There's an inclusion of four Old Testament women that I want to specifically talk about this morning. In the genealogy, the lineage of the perfect God. Four Old Testament women. One name, 
Tamar. Second name, Rahab. Third name, Ruth. And the fourth name, Bathsheba. All of these women, as well as most of the men in the lineage of Jesus Christ, were questionable in some way. When we look at them and we say, man, I mean, because again, in our thought process, if God is going to come to this earth, he's going to come with splendor. He's going to come with might. He's going to come with riches and extravagance. I mean, he is the God of all gods. He's the king of all kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is above all. I mean, if, if, if he were going to come to this earth and choose a place to dwell, it certainly would not be Nazareth. He would not be born in Bethlehem. He would be born in the greatest city. He would be born in the largest palace. He would be born to the most prominent parents so that everyone in the world would know this is him. That's not how he came. And in the same manner, we might think, you know, if, if God was going to come to this earth, he would, he would come through the most holy people. He would come through the, the, the most well-known righteous people, Enoch, and, and which were, were there, but only those type of people. That's who he would come through. And so what's, what's so bad about these people? Tamar and Rahab were prostitutes. Ruth was a foreigner, a Moabitess, worshiping false gods. And what about Bathsheba? She's the one that committed adultery with King David. With who? King David, the king of whose throne that Messiah would sit on. It's amazing. So I believe this account included these women in order to emphasize God's choices in dealing with people are all about his grace and all about his love. See, if God sent Jesus and, and he was born in this extravagant palace of these prominent people, then, then mankind could say, you know what, that's what it is. It's who he is and who he knows. I mean, of course he's this, of course he's that. But he didn't. He didn't come like that. And he didn't come through those people who were only considered holy and righteous. He came through ordinary people. He came through people who were absolutely relying upon his grace and his forgiveness. As the Redeemer, he came that way. Perhaps he also included these women in order to put Jewish pride in its place. Or to put man, pride, man's pride in its place. But Matthew's genealogy answered an important question that a Jew would rightfully ask anyone who claimed to be the king of the Jews. Is he a descendant of David through the rightful line of succession? And Matthew answered, absolutely yes. Or maybe more important than anything, this genealogy answers the all-important question about God's love for us. Does God's love ever give up on us? Does it ever quit? Does he give up? 
Maybe you're here this morning, again, you've had a rough time. Maybe this has been a rough year. Maybe it's been a rough season. Maybe it's been a rough five or ten years. And you say, man, I'm just struggling in my relationship with the Lord this Christmas season. I, I tell myself a year, every year, don't, don't go there again. Don't get all wrapped up and stressed and don't get all focused on all this stuff. And I, and I just lose the sight of, of Jesus during this season. I always say he's the reason for the season, and I lose that every year, and I'm sick of it. I, I, I want to focus on him. I want him to be the center of my everything. Maybe you forget that God's love is never ending. It's unfailing. Maybe it's in a different place. Maybe, maybe you're struggling with the sin or sins. And you say, man, my relationship with God has been suffering. And I've really had a hard time coming back to right fellowship with him. I, I, I've really had a hard time having this intimate, close walk with God. And, 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 and I'm not feeling his love. I'm not feeling his presence this season. I'm really struggling. I want you to remember what the scripture says in Romans chapter 8. Verse 31, it says, For what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He, listen to this listen to the statement. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Not just some of us or most of us, but he didn't spare his son. He gave his son for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things that we need? Who shall lay anything at the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. God is the judge. God is the one that has the say. No one can say anything against us. Who is he that condemneth? He's nobody. God is our justifier. God is our judge. It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. And then he asks this amazing question in the next verse. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Paul's saying, you know what? It's a perspective. God, just because uh, we go through these negative things in this life, just because we experience hurt and loss and trouble and distress and, and, and famine and, and poverty, just because we experience all these things in the path of our obedience with Christ doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. Did you hear that? Maybe you're there this Christmas struggling with the hurt and the loss and you're struggling about God's love for you. No, that just through the circumstance that you've been through doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. Again, it says that he spared not his own son because of his love for you. And Paul brought it into the perspective that, you know what? Our lives are supposed to be laid down for Christ regardless. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise God. Nothing can keep us from God's love. Now, I want to say this. This doesn't mean that God rejoices in our sin. Of course not. That's the whole reason why he came to die. God doesn't rejoice in our sin. But this does mean that his love for us endures. And if we're to have a sincere love for God, 
and a sincere love for others as we're supposed to. Our love will endure. As the musicians make their way this Christmas, I want you to walk away from here knowing how to rightly handle love and knowing what love really looks like. We know according to Jesus Christ, we know, look at his example, we look at God and what he did in Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, that love gives, love sacrifices, and love endures. Why? Why, though? For the glory of God. That's why he did it all. That's why we are to love in the same way, for the glory of God. Okay, well, I'll love like this because it'll do this. No, no, no. For the glory of God. This Christmas, know you're loved by God. Walk out of this place and say, I I don't know that anybody loves me. I'm not feeling very loved. Know that you're loved by God. He proved it and he continues to prove it over and over again. But again, let's make sure our love is where it's supposed to be. For God, for others. You say, well, I'll say right now, I don't think that our love for God can ever be where it needs to be. I think it's a constant pursuit in our life. But maybe this morning we we remember, I'm not really loving God the way I'm supposed to. I'm not really loving others the way I'm supposed to. I've honestly came to a place in my life where I'm more focused on me than others. Tonight we're going to look at one more group. Briefly. We'll look at the Christmas story. and I hope that you'll come and we'll wrap up this day uh, together. And God will do something amazing. But I want to invite you this morning. Maybe you just want to come to the altar and say, God, thank you for your love for me. I've been one that's been wrapped up in all the the rigmarole, the stress, the, the running and stuff. And I haven't really just meditated and dwelt on this truth. that You love me. And that love never ends. It never fails. God, thank you. Maybe you just need to do that. Or maybe you, maybe you say, say, I need to start loving like this again. There was a time in my Christian life that I was so concerned about other people. I was loving and I was giving and I was sacrificing. It was all about serving others. It was all about giving my life for the Lord. It was all about that. And, and, and honestly, I've taken back the rope and the reins quite a bit. Maybe you need to come this morning and say, God, it's yours again. My life is yours. I just want to love the way you love me. And finally, if you're here and you've never experienced God's love in an intimate and personal way, you've never come to him and said, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm a sinner. And I realize that you love me so much that you came to die for my sins. Today, I give up my life and I give it to you. I trust you alone for salvation. I realize you came to this earth for that purpose, to die for my sins, and you rose again. And I want to be with you forever. I want you to be my God, my Lord, and I want you to save me. If you've never done that before, or maybe you've said those words, but you know in your heart you didn't surrender all, I'm begging you to come today. What a more special time to give your life to the Lord on a day, a season that we're celebrating is coming to die for you. And so I want to invite you to come. We're going to pray. People are going to start moving. They're going to start singing. And I want to invite you to come. We'll have some ministers down here. If you're a lady, we can get a lady and they can show you out of God's word how this can happen.
how you can know that heaven's going to be your home. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for allowing us again to meet here and to worship you. Thank you for your word and for this reminder this morning, just a, a look at the amazing love that you have for us. God, we realize that our, our understanding is limited. I don't think right now that we could fully grasp how big your love is for us. Even when we understand and believe that you came to this earth to die for our sins, I still don't believe in these human minds and our human hearts that we could fully grasp how big that love is. But Lord, this morning, help us gain a, a better understanding of it. Help us to leave this place this morning with just a special, a special feeling, special experience that we take with us. That this Christmas season, we're reminded of the great love that you have for us. And that it would motivate us moving forward to operate and love ourselves even more than we were before. Lord, just move now. We'll praise you for it in Jesus' name.